Well, my name is Peter Gill. I, um, I joined the faculty here at uh, the University of Sydney uh, last year as a professor of quantum chemistry. I've been a, a Christian for quite a number of years, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, giving a, a short talk here on uh, going beyond the science versus God debate. So the outline of the, the talk today is, first of all, to give you a quick refresher about uh, the debate and some negative and positive views on the, the relationship between God and science. Then I'm going to put it to you that there really isn't a debate, um, that it's a kind of non-debate. I'll show you what I mean by that and uh, raise a few of the sorts of questions that people ask of science and theology uh, and show you how their answers are coherent. And finally, I'll point you to some, some books which I found helpful on this uh, subject. All right, so let's, let's begin by asking, uh, what, what do you think about the relationship between science and Christianity? Many people have many views on this, and I'm sure that you've formulated your own view over the years listening to things that people say. Let me give you um, a quick rundown of some of the negative views that have been expressed uh, over the years between science and Christianity. Here's a guy who used to be rather famous, Carl Sagan. I don't know if he's very famous anymore. He was an astronomer from uh, Cornell University. And um, he's known for one remark that he made in uh, one of his most well-known books, that the universe is all there ever was, all that is, and all that ever will be. And that, if you like, was uh, Carl's view of this subject, that, uh, that there's just a universe there, and that's it. Don't try imposing anything on top of that. More recently, uh, a lot of you will be familiar with uh, an outspoken opponent of Christianity and other religions, uh, Richard Dawkins, who's written a number of books uh, in and around the subject. He writes, I'm against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. By all means, let's be open-minded, but not so open-minded that our brains drop out which is kind of funny, um, but uh, not necessarily applicable to all the Christians that I've met. Stephen Weinberg, another famous uh, guy, Nobel Prize winner in physics from the University of Texas, he's written, the world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion should be done and may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. These are certainly negative views. Uh, fortunately, there are some positive views that have been expressed over the years. Uh, fishing way back in time to Robert Boyle, who pretty much regarded as the father of, of my subject, chemistry, and uh, in his many uh, works on the theology, he wrote that God is the author of the universe and the free establisher of the laws of motion. Boyle was known for unpacking some of these laws of motion, understanding how the universe is put together and is uh, very famous for that. But even more famous than Boyle is Isaac Newton, um, physics professor from the University of Cambridge in the UK. And he wrote that he has a fundamental belief in the Bible as the word of God written by those who were inspired. I study the Bible daily, he wrote. These are clearly 
scientists, in fact, they're giant scientists with a very positive view of the relationship between um, science, their subject, and their religion, Christianity. More recently, Albert Einstein, uh, physics professor who finished up at uh, Princeton University, wrote many, many things, but one of those things that he wrote was, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. Coming more recently again, uh, Francis Collins may not be a name that all of you know, but um, he was the leader of the Human Genome Project, the project to map out all the genes in a human's DNA. Um, he's still alive and active today, and he's a, a strong Christian who has written, there are good reasons to believe in God, including the existence of mathematical principles and order in creation. They are positive reasons based on knowledge rather than default assumptions based on a temporary lack of knowledge. What he's saying is that in the past, people might have believed in God and religion because they didn't know very much, because they were ignorant and they were filling in holes the God of the gaps, as someone once called it. Uh, but Francis Collins' views is, no, uh, we believe in God because of what we know, not because of what we don't know. Alvin Plantinga is a very famous philosopher from Notre Dame University in the US, and he has pointed out that um, the counter view, which is put forward by people like Richard Dawkins, which can be called evolutionary naturalism, actually implies that we shouldn't take any of our convictions seriously, including the scientific world picture on which evolutionary naturalism itself depends. And this is a very clever and subtle point, and basically what he's saying is that Dawkins' view, his worldview, is actually self-defeating, that uh, if you embrace it, it ends up giving you reasons not to embrace it, which is a, a nasty contradiction built into that worldview. What's, um, what's your view on this? Well, maybe you're not at either extreme, positive or negative. Maybe you have a, a neutral view. Uh, maybe that signpost is one that you feel you've stood beside for a while. Many people uh, sit in the middle here. And um, some people even take the view that life is simply a series of random and meaningless events. And then you die, uh, which is a very sad view, in my opinion, uh, that's the nihilist view. A nihilist is someone who doesn't believe that there's meaning in, in anything. So what's the biblical view? We open up our Bibles to find out what the biblical view of science and Christianity is, and maybe you're wondering, well, did the Bible have a view on science and Christianity? Did science exist? Uh, well, yes, I would claim that it did. Let me show you what I mean. The Bible begins with a passage very famous, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's really a statement on which science hinges. In his opening prayer, Alex called God a God of order. And it's really only because we have a God of order who created the heavens and the earth that there's any reason to believe that science as a discipline could exist, that there would be order and patterns and predictability to be found in the universe. So that opening verse in the, um, in the Bible is, if you like, the, the creed on which science 
is built. In Proverbs, the second um, chapter of Proverbs, it reads, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This is, I would say, a very clear statement from the Bible that there is understanding to be found in the universe around us and that if we hunt for it, we will find it because God will provide it to us. Psalm 19 is one of my favorites. It was read to us before by Alex. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but um, I've extracted some of the verses there, extolling the, the, the beauty and the joy that one finds in studying the handiwork of God, his creation, which is so beautiful and so logical and so well-ordered um, that it really points to a wonderful creator. Another Psalm 112 includes the verse, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. And uh, Clark Maxwell, one of the famous physics professors from Cambridge 100 years ago, had this, or the Latin version of it, engraved on the laboratory of physics. Uh, Maxwell was a devout Christian, and he certainly believed that um, in studying physics, he was unpacking his Lord's creation, and that gave him great delight. Coming forward in the Bible to Romans, Paul writes, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul is pointing out that from the creation itself, we see the mind of God that is behind that creation. And finally, I've picked out a famous verse from Colossians talking about Jesus, that he is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. This world in which we find ourselves is an incredibly well-ordered, well-structured, non-chaotic place because it was created by a non-chaotic God. The Bible teaches us, in fact, that all the truth that we have is God's truth. There's no truths that lie outside God. It all comes from him, whether it's scientific truth or any other kind of truth. And God speaks to us in part through the natural world. And I think that's highlighted by that 19th Psalm. If we study his creation, which is what scientists do, we learn something about him, even if we don't want to. And some of my scientific colleagues don't want to. But the Bible teaches us that science, looking at the world around it, studying it, delighting in it, sheds light on its creator. The Bible also teaches us that we'll never be able to fathom God completely. We will never get our heads completely around God. So we have some light shed on him by studying the creation. But if you like, we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg and God is something so vast and so unmanageable to our very finite human brains that we will never fully uh, wrap our brains around him 
that's for sure. So if we go beyond the science and God debate, um, we can see that really a lot of the so-called debate comes about through a misunderstanding of what science is trying to do and what theology or Christianity is trying to do. And a lot of the conflict that's come about in the so-called science and God debate actually comes about through misunderstanding of what these two realms, the scientific realm and the theological realm, are trying to accomplish. If we can clear the way and, and see more clearly what they are each trying to do, a lot of the apparent conflicts and inconsistencies and contradictions disappear, which is great. Of course, you will sometimes find people who are determined to misunderstand you, and it's probably not worth uh, spending too much time debating with someone who is determined to misunderstand you. All right, so let's try to figure out what science is actually trying to do. And I went, as most of you often go, to Wikipedia to find out what science is. And Wikipedia's opening sentence says that science is a systematic enterprise that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable explanations and predictions about the universe. And when I read that as a scientist, I thought that's a pretty good description of what science does. It's basically an exercise in gathering truth, or what we hope is truth, and building models, trying to understand the things that we observe by building models. In branches of, uh, branches of science like physics, the so-called hard sciences, the questions and answers can be very, very precise, like what is the speed of light? Um, but in psychology, at the other end of the scientific spectrum, the questions and answers are less precise because we're talking about things which are much more complicated, like human beings, not something simple like light. Over time, the answers that scientists have to their questions can change as they learn more. And we hope that over time, as scientists, our answers are becoming more accurate but we never lay claim, or we certainly shouldn't lay claim, to have found the ultimate answer or ultimate truth. Scientists are always peeling away layers and, they hope, improving their understanding. But the knowledge that you get as a scientist is about what usually happens. This is a very important point. Science is basically about studying the normal, the average, the reproducible. So as a result of that, science knows a lot about what usually happens when a person dies. But if you ask about a particular death, you ask what happened on the first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, science can tell you nothing about that. In order to be able to tell you something about that, science would need to be able to run some experiments about that first Easter Sunday, rerun it multiple times, making measurements, making hypotheses, testing the hypotheses. Science can't do that with a historical event. So although science can tell us a lot about death, it can't tell us about a particular death sometime long ago. So you see there, I hope, the strengths and the weaknesses 
of the scientific enterprise. What does theology do? Well, I am not a theologian, certainly not um, paid to be one. Uh, but again, Wikipedia tells us that theology occupies itself with the unique content of analyzing the supernatural, but also deals with religious epistemology and asks and seeks to answer the question of revelation. So theology is essentially a truth-gathering and model-building exercise, like science. But Christian theology seeks to understand the person and nature of God, and that knowledge comes from general revelation, that is from looking around us, studying the creation, as we've talked about before, and from special revelation, which is where God speaks to us through scripture and tells us things which we cannot learn from looking at the world around us. God's revelation of these kinds of knowledge is infallible, but we are not. And as human beings, we always need to be aware that our interpretations of God's revelation may or may not be right. He is always right. We are not always right. So let's ask some of the sorts of questions which people often ask when comparing scientific and Christian um, religious views of the, the world. So we ask, first of all, about the origin of the universe. What does Christian theology tell us? Well, I've already quoted this verse to you, one of my favorites. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what Christian theology tells us about the origin of the universe. It doesn't tell us anything about before, but it's insistent that there was a beginning and that God created the heavens and the earth. What does science tell us about the origin of the universe? Well, modern science tells us that the heavens and the earth have existed for a very long time. There are lots of measurements which seem to indicate that it's existed for a very long time, but not forever. There was a time when scientists believed that the universe had always existed, but um, not so many decades ago, they realized that was wrong. That answer that they had provided was not right and that it had a beginning. And that beginning is often now called the Big Bang. And science tells us that the universe is expanding away from a Big Bang event that happened long ago. And if you ask about what happened before the Big Bang, science is silent. It simply can't answer anything about that for much the same reasons as it can't answer anything about uh, the first Easter Sunday. We can't go back to before the Big Bang to run experiments as scientists. So another important question that people ask is the origin of man. Where did people come from? Christian theology tells us that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. It's in the second chapter of Genesis. What does science tell us? Well, science tells us that people have not existed forever, which some earlier religions believed, um, but has been around for quite a while, uh, for a long time. 
Science also tells us that humans are made of the same stuff as the earth on which they live. The atoms and molecules that you and I are made of are the same as the atoms and molecules that the rest of the world is made of. In the past, science got that wrong as well. There used to be a view that life, live creatures and had some vital component that made them different from rocks and water, um, that there was something peculiar about the stuff that living things are made of. But we now know that humans are indeed made of dust, if you like, as the Bible calls it in Genesis 2, dust of the ground. And interestingly, uh, if you are a uh, DNA analyzer, apparently if you analyze mitochondria, which are little parts of your cells, um, there is some evidence that all humans, uh, all humans who, who now exist, um, descended from a single woman. And you can, and that's been a very controversial subject um, because of what that might possibly suggest. Um, but it's certainly interesting that um, science and the study of mitochondrial DNA has turned this up. How should I live is a very important question which a lot of people ask, uh, whether it's in times of a pandemic or not. People have asked these questions and what Christian theology tells us is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. What does science tell us about how should I live? I'm afraid the answer is it tells us nothing. Science may be able to predict what will happen on average if you do a certain thing, but it doesn't offer any advice about how to live because science is entirely without morals. It's an amoral exercise. It doesn't have a notion of good and evil. It just understands what is and tries to make predictions about what would happen if something else happens. So that's uh, an example of a case where science really can't provide any kind of a useful answer to that very important question. What about if you ask a question about eschatology? Uh, that's the, the study of end times. What does Christian theology tell us? Well, it tells us that nation will rise against nation, kingdom will rise against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. False prophets will arise and lead many astray. And this gospel will be proclaimed throughout the world. What does science tell us? Well, it tells us that if you're peering into the future, trying to extrapolate, you need to make assumptions. And it tells us that that's unreliable because often those assumptions are not justifiable. That's particularly true about predictions in the future, but it's true about extrapolation in general. If you're trying to predict about the near future, for example, a weather forecast for tomorrow, other predictions may be useful. But if you're trying to peer decades or centuries into the future, science would say it's too uncertain, too many assumptions would need to be made, and we can't reliably do that. So totally different answers there, not contradictory, but uh, one shrugging its shoulders and the other giving very specific predictions. What does it say what do the two things say about the centrality of Jesus? Is Jesus important 
or is he someone who lived long ago and is best forgotten about? Well, Christian theology tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It also tells us that there's no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may must be saved. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These are strong words indeed. This is what Christian theology gives as an answer to the question of the centrality of Jesus. What does science tell us? Nothing. Science would say, I can't run an experiment. We may be able to make hypotheses about Jesus, but without the ability to run experiments and make measurements, we must remain silent. So if you look back over those questions, what you will see is that provided we don't push science or theology beyond their proper boundaries, there are no contradictions between them. The contradictions actually come up when science overreaches, when scientists try to apply science beyond the proper realm of science. And likewise, contradictions can arise when theologians overreach and try to push their theology beyond the place um, of its proper application. And I would warn you not to overreach, whether you're a scientist or a theologian. This is dangerous ground to push your science or your theology outside its proper boundaries. It causes confusion, contradictions, and that's not good. So let me uh, wrap up here by pointing you to what I've found to be some good books helpful for this general discussion. Uh, here are four Christian writers who have helped me and uh, matured my understanding. Uh, you'll probably know at least some of these names. Tim Keller is an active pastor. He comes from New York and has written a, a bunch of books. Dennis Alexander is a biologist from Cambridge University. John Polkinghorne is a physicist. He's also a theologian, trained theologian. And John Lennox is a mathematician, an Irishman. And these guys have all written books. They're all very helpful uh, for providing a balanced approach to these problems that vex some people. A couple of books that Tim Keller has written particularly relevant. One's called The Reason for God. It's a really clear book where he goes through some of the objections that people have raised, some of them scientific objections um, to Christian belief and shows um, how they, these objections can be um, pacified. And recently has written a, a book called The Prodigal God, uh, which is also excellent. John Lennox wrote a book just a couple of years ago called Can Science Explain Everything? I would strongly encourage you to read this book. You can see the table of contents there on the right-hand side. It's a terrific book that unpacks slowly and methodically the way John always argues these things on how to get rid of the inconsistencies and arguments on both sides um, and understand how science and religion are actually very friendly bedfellows, entirely compatible with one another. 
And very recently, John has written another book, which I don't think is yet uh, available, that you can pre-order it. I don't have a copy, but I'm looking forward to getting one, uh, where he asks about where God is in this coronavirus world that we find ourselves in now. But of course, the best book of all uh, for reading and understanding about uh, the world that we find ourselves in uh, is the Bible. And I've grabbed here four famous verses from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'll end by reading these two. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thanks for listening.